in our doing and our obedience to the Word of God, that we would demonstrate to you once again how we love you, how desperately we need you to hear from you tonight. Lord Jesus, we pray for the service that your perfect will would be accomplished. I pray for Brother Rapids that you would continue to touch his body, infuse him with life and strength and vigor. I pray in Jesus' name, you are the God of life. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, a complete healing in his body right now. I pray for Marquise, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to work in his heart, his mind. Continue, Lord Jesus, to, to generate within him a hunger, a thirst, a desire for the things of God, for, the, for truth. I pray, God, that you would reveal these things to him as he continues to seek those things out of you. I pray for our service once more, that your perfect name would be glorified, that all, all, all your heart, all your mind would be manifest here this evening. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. We give glory and honor unto you tonight. We worship and we praise the Almighty. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we delight ourselves tonight in the God of our salvation. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are, you are an awesome God. You're a glorious King. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity you've given us this evening. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your continuing mercy. Mercies which are renewed unto us every morning. Thank you, Jesus, for all of your benefits. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering on a cross and dying in my place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. What an awesome God, church. What an awesome God. Even on a Wednesday night, He's powerful. He's mighty. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing and for entertaining God's presence. You can be seated tonight. We're going to take a little bit different tack tonight. Uh, I don't know how long this will take. This has the potential to go uh, kind of a little bit short or full length. I don't know. We'll see. In any case, uh, our scripture text, we're going to have two of them. 1 Corinthians 14 and 40 says this, Let all things be done decently and in order. Amen. God is a God of order. He's a God of law, not chaos, not just willy-nilly, not fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, it may seem like he is sometimes. It may seem like he just kind of comes in and changes things up in an instant. But that's not God. I mean, God had that ordained from the foundation of the world, what he was going to do. Uh, it seems like that to us because we just don't know sometimes. And that's fine. But yeah, yeah, more times than not for sure. But God is a God of order. Let all things be done decently. And in order. Also, Luke chapter 6 and verse 31 says, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Amen. The golden rule. Mom and Dad have taught us this uh, for as long as we could hear words. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to talk tonight about ethics, in particular ministerial ethics. Uh, and this for a couple reasons. Uh, one... Maybe primarily, I want everyone to have a good understanding and a certain level of expectation as what you should be expecting from me, from the pastor. The other reason is that we are all of us ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so we're going to discover tonight that most, if not all, certainly most of these will apply to all of us. We should all be adhering to uh, a certain level of, a certain standard, a certain, and I'm not talking about dress. I'm talking about conduct. I'm talking about how, uh, how we conduct ourselves as Christians, as ministers. We should all be setting a certain level of, uh, a certain standard for ourselves. In ministerial ethics, this is going to apply mostly, like I said, to me and perhaps to other licensed ministers. Um, but again, we are all of us ministers, and so I'm going to ask us tonight that wherever these can apply, let's just assume that they do apply. Amen. Before we get into ethics proper, I want to talk about the sacredness of God's calling. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. We are called to a high and lofty office, church. I don't care what that calling is, but we are first and foremost children of the Most High God. We're sons and daughters of the King of glory. We have an awesome, awesome privilege. We are called to a high and uh, an esteemed place, place in the kingdom of God. And because of that, I feel like we need to hold ourselves to a standard that is becoming to that office. I don't like to see Christians that they excuse poor behavior, maybe, but not even poor behavior. They excuse uh, in ministry, just doing things halfway or, or uh, not really taking the time to, to practice or to rehearse or to study with the excuse that, well, you know, that's, that's just me or, well, I, you know, I, I do the best I can. <clears throat> I hope we are doing the best we can because the responsibility that we have as Christians, as ministers, if we stopped and and, and thought about it, traced it, followed it all the way through, it would scare all of us probably half to death. We have an awesome amount of responsibility. If, if I were going to apply for... If I wanted to be a brain surgeon, that takes a little bit of study. It takes a little bit of skill. I promise you, at this point in time, you don't want me cutting into your head. You don't want that. Because I would have no idea what to do once I... I could probably get through your skull. I could probably get in there. But now what? I have no idea what to do now. And so, not a good idea for me to do that. Now, if I applied myself, maybe 10, 15 years, went through the whole shebang, went through residency, specialization, whatever path that they need to take, and I got board certified as a neurosurgeon, now maybe that would be different. Now maybe you would want me operating in that situation. 
but you can't really take me seriously right now. Why is that? Maybe I have a great desire to be a brain surgeon. Maybe I have some natural talent. How about now? Still though? Wow. You guys are hard. And yet, when we're talking about... <laughs> I, I, don't, I wouldn't want me. No, 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 no. But the, the idea of holding, holding him to that level of standard, that standard. We want a doctor that's going to hold to a certain level of proficiency. We don't want some schmuck operating on us. License, yeah. Doctors are us. Discountdoctor.com. You know, we don't want that. Yeah, we'd like to save some money, but when it comes to my health, I'm going to spend a little bit extra money to get quality service, right? We hold our doctors to a certain standard. We hold, uh, we hold most professionals to a certain standard. Accountants. If I go to hire an accountant, I, I don't want some accountant that's being examined by, by the, the DA right now. Whether it's true or not, I'm probably going to look somewhere else. I'm expecting to hire someone with a certain standard. So when it comes to a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the highest profession there is, church, you and I are called to the highest profession that, that ever was with more responsibility than most people can even fathom. We ought to expect a certain standard in that minister. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. This Profession, if I can say it like that, this calling is the highest calling in the world. And it's worthy of a certain standard. Amen. God has called each of us, but it's up to us, though, to live up to that calling. God calls us where we're at, and thank God for that. But He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to start moving forward. He's given us the raw materials. When God creates a baby, they're not ready for brain surgery either. But in 25, 30 years, they could be on their way to being the best brain surgeon in the world. The difference is, that individual has decided to do something. To hold themselves to a higher standard. To discipline themselves to study and to train and to grow to the point where they can do this job. When God calls an individual, they're not necessarily ready to completely enter into that calling at that point in time. Again, there's a difference between being called and being chosen. There's a space in between there, a time of preparation, a time of study, 
And as we hold ourselves to that standard, as we start moving forward in that, that's when God begins to use us. Are we doing all things well? Are we doing all things to the best of our ability? Am I adhering to the highest standards of ethical and ministerial conduct in my life? Now again, this applies to me for sure. But it should apply to all of us. We should be holding ourselves, whatever our ministry is, we should be holding our our ministry to the highest standard, the highest level of conduct, because it's worthy of that. Every ministry, every minister is worthy of that. Do we have personal, professional, and ministerial boundaries in place so that our lives reflect and give glory to God? These are questions that we need to answer for ourselves. Now, these are questions, as we go through this, I'll probably keep reminding you guys, these are standards I try to uphold in my own life as a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I think the office is worthy of that. I think all of you are worthy of that. And I want you to be aware of these standards. I want you to be expecting these standards in ministry. I do. I think we need to hold our ministers to a high standard. I think God agrees with me. We look at the life of Moses. We look at the life of the the people of Israel that he was leading. And I've used this example many times. I'll continue to do it. Moses, he disobeyed one time. And he was forbidden to enter the promised land. The children of Israel were murmuring and complaining and were absolutely faithless from the time they left Egypt to the time they got to the River Jordan. But God was going to let them over until they were faithless yet again and wouldn't go. Why? God was holding Moses to a higher standard. He was expecting more of Moses. And whether you want, whether you want it or not, folks, God expects us He expects more of us, His children. He wants to hold us to a higher standard. Again, doing versus becoming. We need to become the minister that God has called us to be. Not just do the things that that requires. It needs to be who I am. Not just what I do. Charles Spurgeon had a message a while back, called The Minister's Self-Watch. I haven't, I haven't read it yet, but uh, I discovered it while doing the, the research for this. Matthew twenty six forty one says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Also, 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 says, Examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. 
No one can hold you accountable to live and to act ethically. Not at the end of the day. We can force rules and regulations. We can incentivize good behavior and de-incentivize bad behavior. But at the end of the day, folks, if you're going to live ethically or righteously or godly in this present age, it's going to be because you have chosen to do so yourself. You are going to discipline yourself to live according to a certain set of guidelines. Those guidelines form the basis of our lives. They form the, the, the safety net, if you will. The protection that we can freely move and operate in. That's what these are. And they're going to be enforced by you. At the end of the day, no one else. You can't force me, and I can't force you. And God won't force you to live ethically. To hold yourself to a certain standard of ministry and of conduct. If you're a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, folks, this world deserves the very best. Every soul living deserves the very best. It behooves me as a minister of the Gospel of Christ, to apply myself as hard as I can, as much as I can, to move forward in ministry, to move forward as a child of God into Christ-likeness. Because you deserve it. And I say that, I believe that, absolutely. You guys deserve the very best. They deserve the very best. Jesus gave all of us His very best. So as ministers, we need to hold ourselves and we need to hold each other to a high standard. You need to hold me to a high standard. I need to hold you to a high standard. We're all worth it. This ministry is worth it. Jesus Christ is worth it. 2 Peter 1 and 10 says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fail. Make your calling and election sure. And be diligent to do so. Romans 14.12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. It's okay. It's good to have... You guys have heard of accountability partners. It's good to have that. It is. That, it helps a lot in, in many ways. But, again, at the end of the day, folks, when I stand before the judgment seat of God, my accountability partner isn't going to be standing next to me. It's going to be just Jesus and me. That's it. So, use your accountability partner. Use those systems. Use a, a, a mentor or uh, someone you've given permission. We're going to talk about that later too. But while you're doing that, strengthen yourself. Discipline yourself in the, in the presence of God. Let Him make you strong so that you can say no to those things you need to say no to. So that you can say yes 
to those things that you don't want to do, but need to do. You have to do that. I have to do that. No one's going to make me. Again, at the end of the day, I'm going to live this way because I choose to do so. And so are you. That's a choice that all of us have to make. We've got to make it. And we've got to follow through with that choice. Okay, so, ethics proper. One thing the minister needs to be is a good citizen. Our relationship with our community, with other churches, with our society in general should be a good one. Now, of course, we understand that uh, our culture today does not serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not submit to the authority of Scripture. And because of that, we are going to be in conflict in a lot of areas. We understand that. But as much as we are able, as much as we can, we still love them. We will still minister to them. We don't love their sin. We don't agree with their lifestyle. But neither are we going to ram it down their throats either. That doesn't serve anybody. We're going to love them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to minister to whatever needs they'll allow us to minister to. We're going to demonstrate Jesus Christ to them. We should have that reputation that we are here to serve as we are able. The Bible says that we are to have a good name. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. We should have a good name, a good reputation. Businesses, credit cards, certainly as a church, but even as individuals, should know that if I have a bill, I'm going to pay it. And I'm going to pay it on time. I should have a good name. Now, you can think what you will about a credit score. I mean, I know debt is bondage. Okay? The Bible teaches that too. But, on the other end, having a good credit score means that I have a good name. That I, I can be trusted to borrow money. And you can go both ways on that. This isn't a financial seminar. We'll talk about that some other time. <clears throat> but, the Bible does teach we need a good name. If we give our word on something, people expect it to be honored. People just trust that that's what's going to happen because they said it's going to happen. That we're honest. That our communications with people are prompt and proper. Okay, now my least favorite topic, our relationship with the pastor. Hebrews 13 and 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Okay, all of us, all of us have a pastor, including me. We all have pastors. We all have a covering that we are submitted to. We need that. We need a pastor in our lives. Someone that we're submitted to. Someone that we have given permission to, yeah, 
to veto things in our lives. Most people, when they think of this, they think of agreement. Okay? Submission is not agreement. Agreement is agreement. Submission is doing something that you don't agree with, but you're going to do it anyway. That's submission. And that is really hard to do. Because you know you're right. And you know he's wrong. So that's, that makes it really hard to do. Now, as far as I'm concerned, again, I have no problem with you coming. We'll go behind closed doors. We'll talk one-on-one. And you can tell me you disagree with me. And you can tell me why you disagree with me. And you can tell me what you think the right plan of action is. Okay? Don't just tell me you disagree with me. That doesn't help me out at all. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing then. Tell me why you disagree. Tell me what you think we should be doing. And we'll talk. I'm very serious about this. Come talk to me. But, once a decision is made, whether any of us like it or not, the authority is in the office of the pastor. The final decision is his. Because he's the one that's going to be accountable to God for it. Anytime a measure of authority is delegated, it's only to discharge a level of responsibility that the individual has been given. That's it. No more and no less. If you have any measure of authority, you have that authority so that you can properly discharge the responsibilities you've been given. And that's it. You don't need any more authority than that. Because you don't have any more responsibility. So because I have to give the account. The pastor has the authority. And the only reason I'm bringing all of this up is because of ethics. Okay? We're going to build on this as the lesson progresses. Okay. We need to be accountable to our pastor, but we also need to be accountable to each other. And I'll say this, and I think I'm in the book, and I have no problem doing this. I am also accountable to all of you. I make myself accountable to you. That's why I'm saying, this is, that's why one reason I'm going through this. I want you to understand what you should be expecting from your pastor. Amen. And I am submitting myself to you. For you to do that. To hold me accountable. Because again, folks, I don't need to be right. I need to be saved. I don't care about anything else. I'm, well, I'm not too old. But I'm old enough now not to really care about what people think. I really don't. Uh, I'm going to do my best to please Jesus. And that's really all I care about. And so... In my quest to please Jesus, I want to do the things that are pleasing to Him, that are right in His sight. And if that means that I need to be corrected, then bless God. Let's correct. Let's get it over with. I'll apologize. And let's move forward. 
I have no problem doing that. Because I want, I want to be the best minister that I can be. I want to be the best child of God that I can be. And I can't do that when I won't admit that I'm wrong. Nobody respects the individual. Everybody knows they're wrong, but they won't admit it. He seems to be the only guy that doesn't get this. Okay, so we need to be accountable to our pastor. We need to be accountable to each other. Submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God, the Bible says. We never take sides against or conspire against the pastor. Okay, now again, these things are going to seem pretty fundamental until they're not. Until we get ourselves into a situation where it makes perfect sense to disagree. So as, as ministers who are holding ourselves to a high standard of ethics, ministerial ethics, we never take sides or conspire against the pastor. We recognize the spiritual authority he's, he's vested with, and we are submitted to God in that area. I'm going to move forward in this as fast as possible. But Okay, uh, if someone is complaining to you about the pastor, please don't agree with them. Tell them to talk to the pastor. <clears throat> don't take sides. Just... That sounds like something you need to talk to him about. I promise you, I'm going to do the same for you. I will. I have no time for someone that wants to talk to me about somebody else. My first response is going to be, well, let's talk to them. We can do it all of us together. Uh, you guys can talk. It sounds like something that, that we need to involve that person with. <clears throat> if someone wants to counsel with you and asks you to keep that a secret from the pastor, please do not make that commitment with that individual. I have no problem with you uh, teaching Bible studies. <laughs> not at all. Uh, counseling the Word of God to someone. We're all ministers. I trust you to do that. You hear from God too. But if they tell you something and they want to keep it a secret from me, Please don't commit to that. Rather tell them either A, well, if it's something I think he needs to know, I'm going to tell him. Or B, please don't tell me that. Just talk to him about that. And there are reasons, there are reasons for that. Okay? Uh, okay, when other ministers come to preach... They should be working in harmony with the pastor of that church. If there's a discrepancy between what they preach or teach and what the pastor is preaching or teaching, the pastor is always right. The visiting minister is wrong. And I say that whenever I'm ministering somewhere else. I make sure people understand that because I don't know everything they're preaching or teaching. I say right up front, if I'm disagreeing with your pastor, I'm wrong. He's right. You can talk to me about it. You can talk to him about it. But I'm clearing that up right now. That's the way it has to be. When a visiting minister comes, you should not be getting specific counsel from them. You should be getting counsel from your pastor. And the reason for that is 
Not because I'm jealous or insecure. It's because I'm the one that needs to give an account to God. Not that visiting minister. They're not responsible for the souls of this church. I am. That's why I'm saying that. Okay. On the other hand, the pastor should be treating the evangelists well. Compensating them well. Bragging about them. Building them up in the eyes of the congregation. That's my brother. That's my sister. And that's a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Other pastors in our movement, in our section, our district. There should always be professional courtesy between pastors, between ministers. Okay. Um, If you know another pastor personally, great. Fantastic. Talk. Spend time together. I have no problem with that. If you're friends, you got a relationship, I have no problem with that. But, again, that other pastor will not stand before God and, and give an account for you. So if you need specific counsel or advice, I'm going to ask that you come to me. Now, again, like we, we said in the, in the beginning of this, I can't force you to do that. I can't force you to live ethically. But it's the right thing to do. And God will bless you for it. We need to be an example to the flock. Not dressing provocatively or calling attention to ourselves in any way. We should be dressing modestly. Okay, now, again, I'm talking to ministers. I'm talking to mature Christians. I'm not talking, uh, I'm not talking about anyone else. Certainly, I'm talking about myself. (laughs) If I got up here in the outfit I was wearing during my first service, you would throw me out. That is not the way a minister should be dressing. And I agree. I absolutely agree. Now again, we're talking about ministers. We're talking about conducting ourselves as a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and striving to obtain a certain level of standard. Okay? If we're not there yet, I don't expect us to be there tomorrow. What I do expect, what I do encourage is that we continue to strive for perfection in every area. We're always striving. We're always growing, obtaining. Okay? We ought not behave rudely or profanely. We should at all times and with every person be courteous, patient, loving, and respectful. Always. There is never a good reason for us to be otherwise. He made me so mad I just couldn't help it. No, sir. No, ma'am. He did not make you mad. You chose to react that way. No one here, myself included, myself especially, we have no right to be short 
rude, insulting, humiliating, disrespectful, or hurtful to anyone for any reason. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. It's simple. If you just can't think of anything good to say, if I may speak freely, shut your pie hole and pray about it. Yeah. Yep. Everyone felt the Holy Ghost on that one. Just and pray about it. Pray for the individual. It sounds like he really needs prayer. So pray. That's all we have to do. And we certainly don't manipulate people into doing what we want. People are people, folks, and they're going to do people things. You will too. I will too. We need to make allowances for that. When Jesus looks at me, He is so thankful that I just got everything right the first time. Never frustrated Him. Never discouraged Him. Always did everything right. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. <laughs> That's because God knows I'm being... I'm joking. That's why I'm not struck with lightning. <clears throat> no, quite the opposite, actually. I'm sure I frustrated Him many times. And yet, He still loves me and He's still working with me. He's been very patient with me. How should I respond when somebody else frustrates me? Like Jesus did with me. I should respond with patience and with love and with compassion. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, folks, if I've had a bad day. It doesn't. I don't need to take it out on that individual. That individual's got enough going on in their life. They don't need me to dump on them. Treat people as Christ would treat them. Luke 6 and 31 says, As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Okay, and we ought not do anything publicly or privately that we would preach against. If we take a public or private stand against something, let's make sure we're not doing it ourselves. Which leads us to the next point, practice what we preach. We need to conform our lives to the Word of God, both publicly and privately. There are Christians who live two lives. They live the church life and then their other life. Sometimes it's a public life and the way they live at home, behind closed doors. Don't be that person. If you are that person, please stop. Let God get a hold of your heart and change you. Be consistent all the way through. Our behavior, listen to this carefully, our behavior reflects on the reputations of our church, on our God, and every Christian in the world. How we conduct ourselves matters. It counts. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And people are looking at our lives. Fair, not fair, irrelevant. That's the reality of it. As soon as you declare yourself a Christian, people are watching. 
They're waiting for you to fail. They're waiting for the hypocrisy to come bubbling up. So now their lives are justified again. Don't do that. Live consistent lives. God has given us all the tools we need to live consistently. Our behavior reflects on the God that we serve, on this church, on Christians everywhere. All right. We need to love our love your members. We need to love one another. Love is expressed in sacrifice, in putting others before you, putting their needs before your needs. And remember that love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an act of the will. We choose to love. We don't love because we feel like it. Financial accountability. Okay, maybe it is a little bit of a financial seminar. We should be a good steward of all of God's resources, not just financial, but time, talent, all the resources that God has made available to us that He has entrusted us with. We need to be good stewards of that. We need to be financially accountable to others. Again, if we've borrowed money, we need to pay on time. Don't give excuses. Don't give reasons. I mean, sometimes, you know, you know what I mean. Most of the time, they're just that. Excuses. There was a time in this country where a man's word was his bond. If he promised something, he would move heaven and earth to make sure he didn't break that promise. He promised to pay a debt. It didn't matter. He was going to do what he needed to do to make sure that debt was paid. And we need to take it that seriously. As ministers, particularly licensed ministers, those that go out and preach in other areas, we should not look to overly profit from the ministry. We are ministers because we have a calling, not because we have bills to pay. And it, well, I'll be frank, it angers me. It frustrates me when I hear people say something to the effect of, and this, this from, from people who were either never, never called to be a minister or they have disqualified themselves from ministry for one reason or another. And I've heard people say, well, we should probably still keep him in there. Why? Well, what else is he going to do? How is he going to make money? And at the time, my answer was always, yeah, he can do what I do. He can go hang some seat rot. He's strong. He's young. You don't need a four-year degree to go hang sheetrock. Go and start building walls. This idea that, well, we need to keep him in that office because he needs a paycheck. I don't know. I don't. If he needed a paycheck that bad, then he shouldn't have done what he did. He should have held himself to a higher ethical standard. I disagree with that. And I'm telling you that because if I ever go hoo-hoo, don't keep me here because I need a paycheck. Get rid of me. Get someone in here who's going to hold themselves to a high ethical standard. I'm serious, folks. You guys are worth it. 
Get someone in here that's going to take the job seriously. Take the, the, the calling and the, the responsibility seriously. We need to practice the same stewardship that we preach and teach. Okay, honesty. Again, this seems like, well, yeah, of course. We ought not violate moral or legal standards. We should be open and transparent with one another. No, I'm not saying spill all your secrets. Yeah, man, I I really felt like I wanted to kill you today. But I didn't. You know, you know we don't we don't need to say all that, okay? But there should be some some measure of openness and transparency with each other. We're we're brothers and sisters, folks. We ought to be able to trust each other with, with a few things. We should never lie or be deceptive. Or be deceptive. We should not have to exaggerate. And that's especially over the pulpit. We shouldn't have to feel the need to exaggerate something, especially when we're preaching or we're teaching someone a Bible study. There's no reason to exaggerate anything. You can't exaggerate the goodness of God. Try to do that. Try to exaggerate His goodness, His greatness. If you need to exaggerate something, you won't do it. You should tell the truth about what you believe and what you do. Don't try to sneak around the back door. Don't try to ambush someone. Just be up front. I'm a Christian. I believe the authority of Scripture. Blah, 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 blah. No problem. All right. Humility. God always gets the glory. Not us. It's got to be that way. He's the only one worthy of it. We should not presume knowledge or expertise that we do not have. Again, you don't have to exaggerate or lie. If you don't know something, you don't know something. So what? I guess you're human after all. You don't know everything? Ugh. You're never going to know everything. We don't need to steal praise from others by claiming someone else's work as our own. If you're going to quote someone, quote them. Give them credit for it. If you're going to, if someone is, is giving you credit, and this happens to pastors a lot, hasn't happened to me yet, uh, but I'm assuming it will at some point. Oh, you, you know, especially in a, in a what they call a revival church. You know what I'm talking about. Great worship services, people come and all that stuff. Oh, you, you've built a great church, Pastor So-and-so. Well, I pastored a great church, but to be honest, most times a pastor really doesn't have a lot to do with that. That's the truth. You guys are the ones that that make that happen. God, of course, through you. Not a whole lot happens from up here. Not for that. Other things happen. It's necessary. I'm, I'm not saying any of that. But don't take credit when credit is not due you. You built a great church there, Pastor. Actually, no, that was 
That was the people of the church. They did all of that. I just tried to keep up. And that's legit. That's perfectly fair and honest. And at the end of the day, who cares anyway? First point, God always gets the glory, not us. Who cares who gets credit for it? The kingdom of God is being built. God is being glorified, lifted up. People are coming in to, to the truth. They're being saved. Who cares? This is awesome. I just want to be a part of it. That's all I ever wanted. Is to be a part of the work of God. What an awesome privilege we have. Praise God. We don't need to draw attention to ourselves in any way. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm accomplishing. This is what I'm doing. That's not necessary. Just go do it. If it needs to be done, do it. If you need help, ask. That's all. We don't need to boast or brag about our accomplishments. Because again, if we're able to accomplish anything, it's because of God. God gets the glory. We do not need to insist on being right when we're wrong. Or even if we are indeed right. We don't need to insist on it. We don't need to fight for our own views. I don't need to be right, folks. I need to be right with God. Okay, don't understand when I say don't misunderstand when I say that. I need to be right with God. I need to conform to Scripture. And that I need to be right. But I don't need my own personal opinion to be right. That's what I mean when I say I don't need to be right. I need to be saved. I need to be right with God. If I'm wrong about something, okay. I'm going to be wrong again. Some other time. I don't need to insist on being right. I need to be willing to admit when I make a mistake. It's okay to make a mistake, folks. You're human. Mistakes are actually a good thing. Go ahead and make a bunch of them. And then learn from them. Learn from them. Grow through them. Mistakes are good. I try to encourage my kids, make as many as you can while you're young. They're the easiest to make right now. Me and my wife make a mistake. It hurts. Sometimes something fierce. It takes a little bit longer to recover at this stage in life. But when you're young, teenager, who cares? You just got yourself to worry about. No bills. Make a bunch of them. Learn from them. Hit the ground running when you, when you get out on your own. All right. You need to be willing to admit when I'm wrong. We don't make any decisions based on ambition or personal glory. I'm not seeking my own glory. I'm not building my own kingdom. And neither are you. We're building the kingdom of God. We're seeking His glory. His advancement in this world. That's what we're about. Okay, confidentiality. A minister must not discuss or disclose matters told in confidence. And I'll tell you up front, anytime someone comes to me with a question, a concern, I always assume that that's in confidence unless you specifically tell me otherwise. I'm not going to share it with anyone. Uh, if I feel like I need to, I'm going to ask you, is it all right if I share it with my wife? But if you say no... Sorry, honey. I'm not going to tell my wife either. 
Now, the only exception to that is if I know someone, if I know you or someone related to the situation is going to come to harm, I'm going to share that with someone. I am a mandatory reporter. And in that capacity, there are things that I have to report to the authorities if I hear about it. Okay. Other than that, mum's the word. I'm not going to tell anyone about it. I'm not even going to tell anyone that you talk to me about anything. All right, boundaries. And ministers should not take advantage of their position for any reason, but especially in this area. By boundaries, I'm talking about boundaries of, of intimacy, marital boundaries. A minister should keep their marriage vows. I know, right? Crazy. They ought to keep their marriage vows. There should not be any intimate relationship with anyone but your spouse. Period. Period. There are no exceptions to this. None. Zero. We ought not look lustfully on others. The Bible teaches us if I look with lust on someone, I've committed adultery already in my heart. I should not allow myself to get into a situation where my actions might be misconstrued. And one of those is counseling the opposite sex alone. Or for whatever reason, finding yourself alone with a member of the opposite sex. That shouldn't be for any reason. Don't call on someone of the opposite sex at their home when you know they're alone. Bring someone with you. Make sure someone's there. Don't put yourself in a compromising spot. Just don't. Don't leave the door open even a crack. Because I promise you, I promise you, you leave it open just a little bit and something is going to get through. Don't do it. Relationship with other churches and pastors. Okay. When we're speaking of churches or pastors of other denominations, we are respectful. We speak in love. Now it's okay, and I do this, point out the differences, point out errors as I see them scripturally, but I don't do so gloatingly or arrogantly. I'm thankful that God revealed truth to me. I want, pe- I want God to reveal truth to everybody. I'm not, I have nothing to be proud of about that. I'm thankful for that. Don't presume that you have knowledge about them or their church or their denomination that you don't have. Don't go off all willy-nilly talking about how they believe this and teach that when you have no idea. Now, if you do, fair enough. But if you don't, you don't need to do this to sound cool or, or, or smart or anything like that. All, everybody knows that you're cool. And you're all smart. We don't need, we don't need all of that. Okay. We don't steal sheep. And you know what that means, right? We don't proselytize. We don't take saints from one church and try to bring them to our church. Okay. That doesn't happen. And that's in reverse. If another pastor comes and tries to do that with you, that's wrong. Okay. You need to come talk to me about that. He shouldn't be doing that. If I'm doing that to someone else, I'm wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. And we, none of us, should be doing that. Okay, we need to pray for other churches. Rejoice in their success. Render any possible assistance to other churches. 
We don't gossip about other churches or other pastors. Okay. Um, does everybody know what a letter of transfer is? Okay. I never have either. Okay. Um, I'll just go over it very briefly. Um, a letter of transfer is if you want to, for whatever reason, good reason, bad reason, any reason, you disagree with me, uh, you can't sit under my leadership anymore, you want to go to another church here in the area. So you say, Pastor, I want, I want, to, I want to start going to this church. Okay, we're going to talk about it. I'm going to encourage you to do the right thing and work this out with, between you and me. Okay? But at the end of the day, if it's unresolvable and you simply just want to leave, again, I can't force you to do anything. I'm going to do what's best for you. I'll give you the letter of transfer. I'm going to explain to the other pastor exactly what happened, what was said. Uh, I'm not going to make you look bad. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to vent or anything like that. Again, me and him too. We should be wanting what's best for the person wanting the transfer. If you can live for God there, fantastic. Again, we're trying to build the kingdom of God. And I can't force you to do anything you don't want to do. So, that's a letter of transfer. Now, hopefully that never comes for anyone. Uh, if you get a job transfer or something, that's a, that's a, a good reason. I need to move to Washington State because my job transferred me over there. That happens from time to time. Fantastic. Talk to a pastor over there. We'll get you a letter of transfer. I'll tell him what you've been doing in church here, etc., etc., and you're off. But it's ethics. Someone comes to this church from another church. I always call the, the pastor. Say, hey, we enjoyed having so-and-so with us today. Uh, something along those lines. Most of the time they know about it. Uh, every once in a while they don't. <clears throat> if you go somewhere, uh, just it, it really helps a lot ethically between the, the, the ministers if you let me know. Hey, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to go to, to Brother So-and-So's church. Have a great church. Have a great time. <clears throat> that way, uh, that pastor knows everything's legit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I go to So-and-So's church. I told him. Okay, great. Everything's good. There's no weirdness now. So it just helps a lot. We want to work together. To build the kingdom of God. And when people start thinking that other people are operating behind our back and, and doing things that just trying to keep things secret and hidden, you know, it's a lot of these are in place for a reason. Because they've our elders, ministers in times past have had to deal with these situations. And so, to resolve these, we've come up with a set of standards that the ministry is expected to follow. But as 
all of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would like to encourage all of us to certainly be aware of these. So that if you see someone doing these things, you know that's wrong. That's not the way we should be operating. We should be holding ourselves to a higher standard. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14 and 40, to reiterate, let all things be done decently and in order. Luke 6 and 31 says, And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. At the end of the day, it's not really that hard. Uh, Just treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Just be upfront, be honest, be open. Be Christ-like. Everything's good. As far as your pastor, hold him to that standard. Listen to what he preaches. Analyze it. Search it out. Make sure he stays in the book. Amen. He is accountable to you as much as you're accountable to him. Let's all stand. Lord God of hosts, I am so thankful for you and for your so great salvation. Thank you, Lord, for truth, for the Word of God that you have revealed to us, that you have blessed us with, made us repositories of. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we would take this Word, that we would take these, uh, these standards of, of conduct and apply them to our lives as anywhere that we can. Help us, Lord Jesus, to strive to be the best minister we can be to be the person that You created us to be. I know that's Your will. That's Your desire. Make it my desire too, I pray. Bless the people of God. Be with us as we go home. Bring us back at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. You are dismissed.